I thank you, Tim, for inviting me back. Um, back to back in your home church is very unusual. And uh, I just am very thankful for being able to come up here and to talk to you again today and try to bring to some what um, completion of what I was talking about, uh, began to talk about last Sunday and even Tim introduced two Sundays ago about the ministry or the baptism of fire. We're going to be looking again at these just two passages that are more or less just going to be my launching pad from Malachi chapter 3 and First um, Peter chapter 1 are the two passages that I'm going to read and then try to expand what I'm going to say today a little bit more than what I had been very specific uh, last Sunday. And today being Father's Day, it is kind of a unusual topic for Father's Day and um, talking about fires and pain and suffering. Well, on the other hand, I guess if you're a father, you understand pain and suffering um, a good bit. I know he and I have four wonderful children walk with God. They're just a joy to our heart. And then we have this other kid. And um, so we have five children. And um, the the fifth one kind of rotates between two or three of them. Two of them really never have given us any trouble, but two or three on occasion, they're the other kid. And uh, I have come to the conclusion in the family of God, um, I'm in the group of one of the other kids. Seems like I uh, create more fires than I need to in my life. And God has to discipline me and chastise me in ways that um, uh, other people probably don't need. Uh, in order for them to be more conformed uh, to uh, the conformity of Jesus Christ. And uh, I'm one of those other kids. I um, thought by this time in my life, at this age, I'd be better than I am. <laughs> but I, I'm not any better than I was at 40 or, or, or at 30. Uh, I, I would think by the time I was, you know, as old as I am, I would really be really holy, you know, and really devout and um, just be a really you know, a spiritual giant. And um, I find uh, the older I get, God has to continually put me in the flames because I'm not that. And yet he has promised and committed to make me like Jesus. And so it requires a, a lot of fire in my life. I don't know if that's the, you know, the way it is with you or not. Maybe you're one of those blessed people that are in the group of the four children and they don't have to go through so hot a fire all the time. Uh, let's go ahead and read Malachi chapter 3, verse 2 and 3. This profound question that was asked and is asked to you and to me this very day. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. In other words, there's a test coming. Will, we, will, will you and I be able to stand the test when Jesus comes back? Verse 3 says, He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and He will purify the sons of Levi, and that application could be made as well to us today if you're a Christian. He will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings and righteousness to the Lord. 
And then in the New Testament, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 says this, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation or the coming of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I do thank you for the privilege of once again standing here and proclaiming your word. I thank you, dear Lord, that I'm physically able as well as having had the invitation to come and speak again. So I ask, Lord, today that uh, you would forgive me of my sins, which are many. And with those with like heart, that you would fill us with your spirit, that your word would not return into you void, but would accomplish every single detail in our lives and hearts that you intend this day. Lord, invade us with your presence. Cause us to push our selfishness out of the way and to hear from you and to see you. And Father, we pray most of all, if there be anyone here today that does not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of their life, that they would cease to resist your love and quit running from you. And today that they would just surrender themselves to you as a sinner who cannot save themselves, knowing that you're the only Savior the one and only. And it's in Jesus' precious name that we do pray. Amen. If I had in my hand the formula, or let's say a recipe or a formula, of something that would eliminate all pain and suffering in the world, all the pain would be gone. The question is, would it be wise and would it be loving for me to employ that, to, to, to give it up, to let people see it, to use it. Would it be wise and would it be loving to do so, to eliminate all pain? have to be careful with our answer because the real answer is no, it would not be loving. It would not be good. It would not be wise. And why? Because there is pain, in the pain itself, there is value. A great deal of value that comes in pain. Uh, I've been on several mission trips in my life, and on two different occasions, I was able to go to a leper's colony. And one of them was a three-day walk up a mountain in the Philippines in Manila, out north of Manila. And um, it, it, it was amazing. I had heard about lepers and leprosy, but I saw it with my own eyes. And um, there, there's a lot of horrible things about the disease of leprosy. But one of, the, one of the tragedies is that in your fingers and then eventually your hands and in your feet, your toes, you begin to lose the feeling in your, in your, in your digits. You, you forget, forget um, how it used to feel. And, and because you don't have any feeling in your hands or in your fingers, you could get your hand burned extremely bad and not even know it because it didn't hurt. There was no pain. See, there's a great deal of, of value in pain. It lets us know that there's something wrong. There's something wrong physically. Sometimes when we are experiencing the pain, 
And it's not necessarily it's a chastisement of God, but it's, it's just because that's our, our walk in life. It's just the way that God has designed our life for whatever reason. When we're experiencing physical pain, it could be a very big blessing to let us know something's wrong inside. Much better to find cancer early on than when it's in stage four and it's too late. To have the pain that would tell you there's something wrong inside. Well, the same thing is true spiritually. Spiritual pain is good. It's one of God's ways of letting us know there's something wrong inside. And our conscience may, may have extreme pain or we may lie down at night and we can't find that peace because there's that soul pain from something that's going on in our life that we need to repent of and we've refused. So pain is of a great deal of value. C.S. Lewis said it like this, pain insists upon being attended to. <laughs> Do you, have you experienced that? It, it, it's not an option. When the pain gets bad enough, pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our consciences, but he shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Isn't that the way God gets attention so many times from both the saved and the lost is the pain and people pay attention to the pain and they, they know that there's something going on that's not right. And oh, that, that people today that know there's something going on in their soul that's not right. If they're not yet a believer, uh, wouldn't it be wonderful that today could be the day of your salvation? That God is speaking to you and you know in your conscience, you know in your heart, something is just not right. I have tried to live a good life. I can't live a good life. And you come to that point where you realize you're a sinner. You're a criminal before God. You have a criminal record in heaven and there's nothing you can do about it. And you come to that point where you realize, I need a Savior. And the only Savior there is, the only Savior you need is the Lord Jesus Christ. Realizing that He took your pain eternally. He, he took your judgment eternally. He died on the cross in your stead. And if you'll just receive Him, turn to Him, run to Him, He will save you. And you won't have eternal pain. You'll have eternal pleasure. There's joy and pleasure at His right hand forever and forever and forever. So if you're here today and you're not yet a believer, come to Jesus. That's really all you need to hear if you're not yet a believer. Just come to Jesus. Everything else I'm going to say, it may or may not make much sense to you, but there is definitely value in pain. And we talked a little bit about the protective value. You know, it lets us know that there is something wrong and we need to attend to it and make sure whatever's going on, we, we realize that the pain is sending us a message. That, that is somewhat of the, uh, of the value of pain when it comes to just protecting us. But then there's also the productive value of pain. And I barely touched on that subject last Sunday and I'm trying to broaden the whole idea of the pain and the fires. And, and when we're talking about the productive value, one of the values, what, what pain does, what it produces is comfort. You know, in 2 Corinthians, I'm not going to turn there, I'm not going to read there, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, the Bible talks about the, our God is the God of all comfort. 
And he comforts us when we're in the fire. He comforts us when we're in our pain. He comforts us when we're in our suffering. And he says, with the same kind of comfort that you've received when I comforted you, I want you to what? Comfort other people. And so there's a comfort value in pain. So don't waste your pain. There's somebody that needs to hear it. There's somebody that needs to hear about it. And, and you know, I, you, you become a whole lot more compassionate, which is another value of pain. You become more compassionate. I was told on many occasions before the last couple of years that I wasn't a very compassionate person. And you know what? I agreed with them. I, I did. I mean, some people are just God-given compassionate. I mean, they can be watching a TV commercial and, oh, God, the tears are just pouring. And, and other people like me, they're kind of hard-hearted in, in all honesty. I mean, it's hard. It was hard for me to be compassionate, for me to be uh, as empathetic as I knew I should be, as compassionate and empathetic as the Lord Jesus Christ. That was one of the parts of the scum in my heart. There was not enough compassion and love and empathy there. And then after going through some of the last things that I've gone through in the last couple of years, I, I now become a whole lot more empathetic to a lot more people. Yesterday, it was a very wise decision that I made, one of the few. We decided to go to the Father's Day lunch yesterday so we could beat the crowd and not worry about it today. And so we went to a new restaurant that we loved, and it was just great. And about the time uh, that we were finishing our meal, in walked this elderly couple. I can say elderly because they're older than me, um, probably 10 years older than me or something like that. And he was escorting his wife in, and she was pretty much bent over and had a, had a crutch. And um, he was just escorting her very, very carefully right to the booth behind ours. Three or four years ago, I would have thought, oh, how sad. You know, dear God, I hope I don't ever get that way. How sad. And then now, after having gone through using a crutch and a walker and all that in the last two years, I looked at that couple and thought, I know what they're going through, at least to some extent. And I almost welt up in, in tears as I saw. And, and then as they got to the booth, you know, normally... Men and women, normally, not always, they sit on one side or the other and they face each other and they converse or whatever. Um, unless you're you know, on your honeymoon, you sit side by side, of course. <laughs> but this elderly couple, probably pushing 80, they sat on the same side of the booth so that he could help her. So he could help her with her food. And I thought, I, that may be me in not so many years. That my wife, Lord willing, she'll still be my wife. She, she'll help me with, with, uh, with my great needs. And uh, so we have that whole idea of pain. It's the pain that causes us to be more empathetic with others, to be more compassionate with others. And for some of you that are, were hard-hearted like me, and I was, this is not a joke. This is not a joke. In my first pastorate, I had a dear friend and Got to know him fairly well. And um, actually, I wasn't even the senior pastor. I was an associate pastor at this church for two years. And, and when my friend's wife died unexpectedly, I probably shouldn't tell this story, honestly, but I, I've already started it. He died. Uh, she died. She was washing dishes and had a brain aneurysm and just right in the kitchen just fell dead. Unexpectedly, young woman. And he called me. Bob called me up and said, She's dead, and I need you to do the funeral. 
I said, well, sure. You know, I had done several funerals for family members and friends and all even at that time. And I started preparing for the funeral. And I realized, and this is a confession. I'm trying to show you how, how some of us can be. But I had to pray, dear God, make me empathetic. Make me compassionate toward Bob and his family because I wasn't feeling it. I'm just trying to be honest with you. My heart was hard. Even as a pastor, my heart was hard. There was not much compassion there. And God knew it was going to take a great deal for me to become a compassionate person, a more caring person, a more empathetic person. I, I, I thank God I believe that Tim is one of those or he's really good at faking it, one or the other. I mean, we're so different. He loves go meeting people and talking to people, and he's gregarious, and I'm exactly the opposite. I, I want to be left alone, and I, I don't really even like talking, much less in public. And yet God, for whatever he, he, his, his reason, he has a sense of humor. He called me to do this. I've done now for 35, 40 years. So there's that whole idea of the value of compassion when we go through these these fires don't don't waste that look for people that you can be empathetic toward and there's there's plenty of them out there in our church i mean we're not what you'd call a mega church by any means but we're a larger than average baptist church but we just have a lot of people that are sick and hurting and I don't know all of them. I just know enough to know that boy, there's a high percentage of people at Point Church that are hurting desperately. And we need to be aware of that and more aware of that and reach out to them with compassion and with empathy. And then we were talking about, I did touch on this a little bit last Sunday, the, the corporate value of pain and suffering. The corporate value. Have you ever been barefoot? Outside, maybe playing with the kids, maybe whatever, cleaning the yard, and you're barefoot and you stump your toe on something like a concrete block. Hard. I mean, you hit it hard. Have you ever had something like that happen? What happens at that point? All of the other members of your body rush to the aid of that ugly, dirty, bleeding big toe. Because it's part of your body and it hurts. And you want to rush to the aid of that big toe. And that, that's part of the corporate value, spiritually speaking. This is our body. We're the bride of Christ. We're the body of Christ. And when one member hurts, the rest of the members should be what? Rushing to the aid of that one that's hurting. And you know, that's easier said than done. And even in the application, the, the, the becoming practical, how do you do that? It, it takes a lot of work. And I thank God that we have a staff and leaders and a team here that, that help us to understand. But I'll be honest with you. I want, I want to know more how I can help, how I can rush to the aid of one of our members that is hurting. Maybe it's because I haven't asked. <laughs> I'm afraid, I was afraid I'd get an answer here. Here's what you can do. But I do, and these days that lie ahead, however many years I have, I, I want to become what I wasn't. I want to be able to rush to the aid of people and give compassion to people and empathy to people. And that's part of the corporate value. You should be rushing to the aid of brothers and sisters that you find out and become aware of. They're in a fire. They need encouragement. And maybe you're the one that God has chosen to do it. And if you don't do it, maybe it won't get done. The corporate value of pain. 
the corporate value of your personal fires and trials that you're having to go through. And then there's also this, and I, I talked about this a good deal in my first message, the baptism of fire a couple of years ago, and then brought it back up last Sunday and um, the baptism of fire. You notice I changed the title to the ministry of fire this week. Um, the value, the, the character value of pain. The character value. You know, in Romans chapter 5, I do want to read that if I can lay my hands on it here. In Romans chapter 5, Paul says it like this. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Right there's shouting words. We have peace with God. You're no longer an enemy of God. Through whom also we have access by faith into his grace in which we stand. Able to stand that test. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. And perseverance produces character. And character, hope. Now hope does not disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Do you see that pain and suffering, as Paul puts it here, all, all of our trials and tribulations, they produce character. That's the reason for going back into the fire time and time again. Because I know I had scum in the bottom of my heart. It needed to be heated up to a temperature hotter and hotter to get that scum up so that I could deal with it. Why? To become more like Jesus Christ. So that my character would be conformed to that of the Son of God. And do you realize that is the goal of every Christian life? Jesus, you're going to be like Jesus? We, we're going to be like Jesus. And God the Father is committed to making us like Jesus. John says he's going to appear. We know not yet exactly all about that and how, how all that's going to work. But he says this, he is going to appear. When he appears, what? We are going to be like him. That's, I can't even comprehend it. Something like me? Something like you? We're all going to be purified like Jesus Christ? Building that character that we will have throughout eternity to be like unto the Son of God? I'm not saying that. That's what the Bible says. I'm going to be like Jesus. It's going to be astounding to a lot of people. It's not because of me. It's because God was committed to do it. I thank God that he doesn't give up on me. And say, oh, this is just not worth it. No, he doesn't do that. So we have this value of the character building. And, you know, a lot of times, like in, even in, even last night, I'll be honest with you, I, I told Tim earlier, I, I about called him at 4 a.m. and said, I just can't do this. Last Sunday when I got home about 1 o'clock in the afternoon, and Thea and I were sitting there, and I just said, I'm so relieved. I am so relieved that that's over. Uh, both physically and spiritually, it was, it was just very difficult last Sunday. And I was just so relieved, and I was relaxing and Thank you, Lord, that I was, and the phone rang, and that was my, my dear loving pastor, who really astounded me when he said, I want you to preach again next Sunday, and I thought, what is wrong? And uh, without thinking, I said, okay. Um, no, I, I, I 
could not have turned down that invitation no matter what, unless I was in the hospital or something of that nature. And so, I mean, I, God just continually puts me back into the flames over and over and over again. And it's to build my character because there's still so many character flaws there. And boy, I pray that God will take it away. I pray that God would relieve that pain. Last night I got in the car at 8 p.m. and drove around for several hours to take my mind off the pain. I don't know how wise that is driving, you know, but at least I was paying attention and uh, got home, I don't know, about midnight or so and Thea was worried about me and I, was, and I didn't hurt her sleeping, don't get me wrong. She's sound asleep. <laughs> five, five minutes after I left the house, she's out of it. But she is very concerned and very empathetic and she was, you know, worried about me. And so I got home and finally got uh, maybe two hours rest between about one and three. And I've uh, been up since three and had the pain in all night long. And it just hurts. And you pray, dear God, please. I understand you're doing a work in me, but please give me some relief. Sometimes he just doesn't do it. And it's good that he doesn't do it. Because if it was better for him to relieve it, he would. All things work together for good. Even the Apostle Paul, you remember he had a significant, what, thorn in the flesh. And the Bible never clearly tells us what that is. There's all kinds of, you know, we think it's this, we think it's that, but nobody knows. And I'm glad that God left it that way because I can identify with whatever he had. It can be what I have. And you remember the Apostle Paul. Now, when your first name is the, you pay attention. The Apostle Paul prayed not once, not twice, three times, Dear God, take this, this pain, whatever it was, away from me. And what did God say in reply? No, I'm not going to. You need this in your life. My grace will be sufficient for your pain. And Paul received it. He never prayed again. I don't think, it's not recorded, that God would relieve him from that pain, whatever it was. And you can see it in his life as he matured on and on and on. The Apostle Paul, he got to the point where he could thank God and praise God in times of suffering. Joy and suffering. Simultaneous. Joy and suffering. Joy and pain. And then he... He has the gall to tell us that we got to do the same thing. To rejoice in our pain. To rejoice in our fires. To rejoice in our suffering. That's really, really hard sometimes to do. And sometimes it is hard to find the joy. You know it's there because God says it's there, but sometimes it's really, really hard to find it. It's even more difficult to feel it. I mean, I could mouth it and say, yes, I, I'm, I'm feeling, I, you know, I... I'm, enjoy, I'm enjoying this pain. I, I'm, and I'm enjoying it to a great degree. I'm very, very spiritual. And uh, I could lie about it, but most of the time I would say, I, I don't know if there's any joy in my heart at all. I'm too focused on the pain. Uh, I am going to close. <laughs> I'm not finished, but I'm going to close. You know, I, I, just, I discovered something through this. Do you remember when you were a kid, if you grew up in a Christian home, I had a big old Bible 
picture Bible story book about this big, about this big black book. Still got it. And it had pictures of the shepherd in it. And you've probably seen these kind of pictures. There's basically two kinds of pictures with the shepherd and the sheep. Usually it's the him leaving the 99 and going to find the one. And when the shepherd gets to that one, you, you, you remember the picture? He grabs two front legs and he grabs two rear legs and he flips that thing up and puts it on his shoulders. You ever see that picture? It's almost that like, like that sheep is just smiling. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to enjoy this ride all the way home. You know, and that's kind of how it is for a lot of us Christians. We're, we should get on and enjoy the ride all the way home. And he has that, that picture of that sheep, that lamb like that. And then there's other times when the shepherd doesn't do that with the lamb. But he reaches down very carefully and, and he scoops up the lamb and he holds it against his breast, his bosom. And the head of that little lamb goes against the chest of that shepherd because maybe it has a broken leg. Maybe he, he was one of those other kids and he had ran from God and he had gotten in a trap and, and his leg snapped. But the shepherd, the good shepherd didn't leave him out there. He went and found him, but he couldn't flip him on his shoulders. He was already in too much great pain. So he cuddles it into his breast. And that little lamb puts his head on the chest of his shepherd. And he begins to hear the heartbeat of the shepherd all the way home. And by the time he gets home, he knows that that shepherd, his savior, loves him dearly. After listening to the heartbeat of the shepherd, listening to the heartbeat of the savior, when you're broken, we have a savior that'll come running. When you're in the fire, he won't leave you alone. You may not even know he's there at first, but he's in the fire with you. And sooner or later, you're going to hear the heartbeat of our Savior, that heartbeat of love and compassion and caring, knowing that he's making you more like himself. How much time do I have, Tim? Seriously. You know, talking about the corporate value as I close. Two and a half years ago, I didn't have a scar on my body from like surgery or anything. I never, never been operated on, never been in a hospital overnight, never had a broken bone. Had no scars to talk about. Now I could go on for a half a day about all my scars and the surgeries and tell you all about the details and everything if you wanted to hear that. I'm sure you don't. But, you know, the, the truth is there is a story behind every scar. A story behind every scar. I know my oldest son, he got a scar when he was about 12 years old. He rammed into the, uh, the front part of a four-wheeler. And um, it, it pressed on him so badly that he was, he, he was bleeding inside. And they didn't know it. And they did exploratory surgery and found that he was releasing poison into his system because they had little pinholes that had come from the pressure and he would have died. And so they did the surgery and sewed him up and he had a scar about that long and he was only 12 years old. That's a big scar. And you know how boys are. 
talking about scars. Look at my scar. It's bigger than yours, you know. And I'm going to tell you what happened right here with that barbed wire. It was terrible. And Jason would always wait, and he'd wait till the end. He'd pull up his shirt, his T-shirt, and say, look at my scar. Well, I can tell you about the story about that scar. Well, you know, Jesus, when he left this earth to go back home to heaven, to be seated at the right hand of the Father, he took with him some scars. Scars on his hands and scars on his side. And there's a story behind his scars. The story of the gospel. The story of hope. The story of love. Indefinable. That's the story that each and every week from this pulpit, Tim and others are trying to teach to each one of us, especially those that don't know Jesus. Look at his scars. Look at the pain that he endured for you. Listen to his heartbeat. Quit running from him. Learn the lesson of the scars. And for those of us that are Christian, get to the point in your life where you can share the story of your scars with those around you. Maybe you're a woman here and early on you had an abortion. The tragedy and the hurt and the pain, the suffering. Maybe that was years ago, but there's a scar there. There's a spiritual scar. Who better to console a young lady that has made the decision to have an abortion than another woman who's already had it and gone through the pain? Or maybe you're going through a divorce and you don't know anyone that's gone through a divorce that's in church. Maybe some should be able to share the story of the scar of their divorce in their life so that others would say, I thought I was the only one. Who do you think they want to go to for words of encouragement and help? And how can I get through this? Someone that's been there, that's been scarred. So come to the point in your life, Christian, so we can share the story of our scars. Robert Browning Hamilton said this, I walked a mile with pleasure. She chatted all the way. But let me none the wiser for all she had to say. I walked a mile with sorrow and narrow words, said she. But oh, the things I learned from her when sorrow walked with me. Dear Father, take these words and use them as you see fit. In Jesus' name, amen.